Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. And we are recording. Hi, everyone. Everyone looks happy today. Kind of fallish. Everyone's got their sweater, sweater wear on. I see. And they're very chatty. I've dug out my sweatshirts, yeah. This is a podcast that requires actual feedback. <laughs> uh, so I, I didn't do it intentionally yesterday, but you're talking about sweater stuff. And, and somehow the furnace had got turned on. And I'm mm. sitting around and all of a sudden I'm just smelling, smelling something burning. And I thought my neighbors just had a, a fire going and then my smoke alarm goes off. <gasps> and it oh, was, I think it was just cleaning out the, the, uh, the, the ducks and all that, but it was, uh, it was yeah. a little scary. I, haven't... I don't know about you guys. I kind of like that. The, the first smell of heat coming up through the, through the <laughs> radiators. You sometimes, we, we occasionally get a little smoke. The first time yeah, I think that's all, I'm hoping that's all it was. I haven't turned it back on to test it because I'm a little, a little nervous. I'm, I'm a big fan of open windows season and we're in the middle of it right now, except that we had all the windows open and came downstairs and it was 56 degrees downstairs. Yeah, it's a little chilly. I'm kind of okay with that. I don't mind being, I like the, the chilly being on the chilly side. We're in that part of the year where you wear a park at work and you go home in a t-shirt. I love the, that this time of year when it's 56 degrees, we're like, oh, it's chilly, like break out the sweater. But then in like May or like April, if it hits 56, it's like, where are my shorts? Where's my yeah. t-shirt, you know? Time to go swimming. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So my favorite thing was being in Key West one time in January or February, and it was like 60 degrees. And we were walking around in t-shirts and shorts and everybody else had winter coats on, literally winter coat parka type things on. Yeah, those people in Florida, they don't go swimming at all in the winter, even when it's like 80, I noticed. Because Mm -hmm. of the alligators. Picky. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, we're back, of course. Um, So all these voices you've been hearing, well, tell you exactly who they are um bill sutton is here again once again manning the controls with his big microphone yes hey bill hi annette i'm bill sutton i'm the managing editor of the express news group you're looking more and more like an official dj you know you've got that I look i feel like it i you know I, I might move into radio we need to get like a pink floyd poster to hang on the wall behind you <laughs> i think he had a uh he had a cigar earlier and he had it in his hand and he was talking to me and it, it, he looked like the Nightfly, the cover of uh, the Donald Fagan album, you know, the nighttime right. DJ. Yeah, 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 he looked just like that. <laughs> I never owned that album, but. My reaction was like obscure yeah. album reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm too young to know who that album is. Donald Fagan not popular, <laughs> Donald Fagan not popular with, the, yeah. uh, with the modern kids. <laughs> Yeah. I guess this podcast isn't for young people. All right. So also here's uh, Catherine G. Manu, a.k.a. Georgie. Hey, Georgie. Hey, Annette. I'm Catherine Manu. I am one of the publishers of the Express News Group. And we also have Brendan J. O'Reilly. Looks like he's in his basement today. Is that right? Yes, I am in the basement. 
I'm glad everybody out in podcast land now knows that. <laughs> well, you need to blur your background, dude. Hi, I'm Brendan. I'm the features editor. Is the reception better down there? Or are you like hunting Nazi subs or something? It, it's, it's backwards because sometimes I will do a Zoom in the basement and I have a really poor connection and then I have to run upstairs quickly. And then today we did a Zoom at nine and everything went smoothly. So I figured I would stay down here for the podcast. Yeah, just don't move too much to the left and it'll all go off screen. Um, so we also have Joe Shaw here with us. Hey, Joe. Hi, Annette. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor. And, and no no funny quips today other than that? Looks like you're wearing a hockey jersey today. Steelers are, no, it's actually a Steelers jersey. And I'm, Steelers, are, ah. Steelers are one and two. I'm not really in a joking mood right now, Annette. Um, I think it's because it, it's a Steelers jersey, but it looks like a hockey one because of those laces. Is that- it, it is. It's sort of hockey-esque. So, well, that's the problem. You're, you're, you're mixed, mixed metaphor of sports here. That's the reason you're not doing so well. Yeah, that's probably so. part of it. <laughs> I'll send you a bangle shirt. How's that? Will that cheer you, you up? You got to go there, huh? You got to go there. Sorry. I'm an Ohio girl, you know, the bungles. Um, and I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. So this week, we thought we would just kind of do a, a grab bag of a couple different stories, one of which has to do with the uh, with Southampton Hospital and um, deadline for all of the staff of the hospital and I think all of the hospitals, to be vaccinated. At Southampton Hospital, they put the uh, employees who were not yet vaccinated on notice that they're on a 30-day suspension, and they have till the end of those 30 days to get um, fully vaccinated. I think I got that right. Yeah, they, they had 16 people who were, were actually uh, suspended for being unvaccinated. But if the, the hospital numbers, they say of their staff, about 98% are vaccinated and 100% of the doctors are vaccinated. So it, it hasn't had an enormous effect on Stony Brook Southampton Hospital. Uh, they did have to uh, temporarily stop taking appointments at the atrium in Hampton Bays for radiology stuff because they were short staffed. So it's not that it's having no effect. I think it's having a bit of an effect. Um, Peconic Bay Medical Center, which is a Northwell Health Hospital uh, up in Riverhead, Likewise, said they're about 95% and 100% of their doctors were vaccinated. I think it's interesting that 100% of the doctors at both hospitals are vaccinated, which probably suggests that uh, the, the safety and effectiveness of the vaccines is not lost on the doctors, at least, at the hospitals. But I think with some of the other staff members at the two hospitals, there are still some folks who are um, objecting. And uh, we did have... Mike. Mike Wright in his story mentioned that there were quite a few people who tried to do a religious exemption at South Stony Brook Southampton Hospital, but were, were declined. And that's actually the subject of a state lawsuit right now about whether or not um, there can be a, med- a, a religious exemption uh, for the vaccine mandate. But for now, it, I mean, I, I think it suggests that the mandates work. I mean, most of the people had pushed them off the fence and uh, whatever hesitations they had, it wasn't enough. I mean, I think when your livelihood is at stake, uh, it's enough to push you off the fence. But I think that's a good thing. I, you know, I'm pro I'm very pro vaccination and feel like the more people who get vaccinated, the more effective the effort is going to be. So uh, I congratulate the people who took the step finally, even if even if it took a mandate to do it. 
I think it's really interesting that point that you brought up that all of the doctors are vaccinated. And it's a really important data point to get out there to the public because there has been this, you know, kind of swirl of commentary about how, well, if healthcare professionals are avoiding the vaccine, see, something must be wrong with it, you know? And so I, I think that that's really important to note that all of the doctors at our local hospital felt the vaccine was safe and effective and received their two shots. So it's interesting, my, my sister is a nurse in Ohio and she's close to retirement age. She was gonna try to work for another couple of years, but she's thinking of retiring very soon because a lot of the nurses that she works with are unvaccinated and they don't have a mandate there. A lot of them refuse to wear their masks and it's just kind of not been a great situation for her. Um, and I think it's interesting, you know, how, how instrumental do we think it is that this vax, this vaccine mandate for um, the hospitals came from the state itself? Um, that seems like it was, you know, it kind of takes the, takes the onus off of the hospitals taking the, the blame, right? I think the hospitals enjoy not being the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And they probably feel like the state has their, their back if they get sued, right? Exactly. It's, it's similar to what happened with schools. I mean, uh, the, the governor, I don't recall, was it governor? It was actually Governor Cuomo, I think. Um, school districts had reached out. No, it was Governor Hopo, I think, who, it was who, who said, yeah, that, that the school districts had actually reached out to her and said, please make this a state mandate for wearing masks. I mean, that, it's a slightly different topic, but, but it's exactly what you're talking about, Anna. And I think the fact that it was a state mandate really made, it, it, it took the pressure off of the local hospitals. I mean, they didn't have a choice. It's, it's, it, they're just enacting what's happening at the state level, but I think that made it more effective. Too. Yeah, and I think that's probably why you're seeing, you know, those, those big fights that are going on at school board meetings and things like that, you know? Um, because it's, you know the school districts are taking it upon themselves and so they're getting a blame for any of the mandates that they're putting in place. I, w I wonder if we have any sense of, of how many people at Southampton Hospital decided to go out and get vaccinated because of the mandate um, that was coming down on them. Yeah, I don't think we have those numbers because, and I'm not sure, I, I don't know if that would fall under, um, and no, it shouldn't fall under HIPAA if they're talking about general numbers, they're not talking about individual staff members. I think the story said there were some like 30, it went down to 16 who were suspended. So maybe mm. 15 of them got on board was my guess. So half. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't know what the time frame of that is. I mean, I think I think people saw this coming for for a while and and you know, hopefully made it, you know, rather than hold out until the last minute. I think hopefully a lot of people um, made that move. But how sad is it that it's got to come down to a mandate? Right to get healthcare workers to, to get vaccinated. It's just really, just, I'm surprised by it. Well, September 28th, the hospital was up to 98% of its 1200 employees vaccinated, at least their first dose. Um, so we're talking sometime later now. So they're probably more like 99% getting fairly close to hundred percent. And then at the point where you fire everybody who's unvaccinated, you're going to be at hundred percent no matter what. But what was really sad about it is that they actually had to stop operating their radiology facility at the Hampton Bays atrium, because even though it was less than 2% of employees who were refusing to get vaccinated at this rate, they still didn't have enough staff to go around to keep every facility open that should be open right now. Yeah, and we've been having these conversations about, you know, post 
um, you know, the, the thick of COVID, people really needing to get in and have those mammograms, have radiology appointments, kind of take care of all the things that people weren't taking care of in the last year. Do we think that the doctors out here might get to the point where they will only accept um, pay, as patients no. people who can prove that they're vaccinated? Have we heard anything of that? nature? I mean, I know that prior to COVID, there were pediatricians locally who would not, um, in the East Hampton area, who would not take your child as a patient. If you were not willing to go through some sort of vaccination process, um, there's a couple of routes that parents take with general vaccination. You can follow a traditional model. Um, A lot of pediatricians will offer um, a more staggered model where you're child's only getting one or two vaccinations in a single appointment as opposed to sometimes four. Um, but there, I know at least one pediatrician in East Hampton who would not take you if you were not planning to vaccinate your child. I think it's a trend nationally too. I think doctors are starting to, to, to make that distinction. And I think it's fair. Isn't it? I mean, I do. Did you want to deprive people of medical medical care just because they've made a decision not to get vaccinated for for COVID? It's a safety issue rather than, I mean, I don't think it's about punishing anybody or anything like that, but it's if if a doctor doesn't want to take the chance of, of um, you know, potentially putting their staff and their other patients at, at, at risk, I think that's a reasonable decision. Um, and I think, I think it's sort of where a lot of this has happened with the, the pandemic that businesses have a right to make some choices in that front too. And, and uh, I don't think, I think if you choose not to be vaccinated for whatever reason, and I think it is a choice, I don't think that necessarily means that, that you get to do everything you could do if you were vaccinated. No, I mean, no, you can't go to a Broadway show and you, maybe you can't go to a restaurant, but I think medical care might be a different well, there's telecare. I there's don't telecare for, you know, if, if there is, and you can always go to the, the emergency room. Mm-hmm. Or you find a doctor that shares your beliefs. I'm sure that they're out there. I mean, I think a similar thing could possibly happen, um, you know, knock on wood, not here, but on some of those like rural areas where the hospitals are overrun with ICU COVID patients, you know, they're talking about having to, to install a triage system where they decide who's got the best chance of an outcome. And it may be that, you know, they'll still treat who, you know, whoever they can and whoever comes in, but it might get down to the fact, well, if one person with COVID is vaccinated, another person has COVID who's not vaccinated and it could be dicey to the point where um, the person who's vaccinated has a better shot at a better outcome. They may have to choose to take the vaccinated patient over the unvaccinated. I mean, I don't know if it's gotten to that situation out anywhere out West, but um, I know that a lot of places we're concerned about having to ration care. So that's an example of where they're not turning away, you know, unvaccinated patients, but they may just, um, because of their health situation, they may be lower on the list for, um, you know, a positive outcome, right? Fortunately, I don't think we're anywhere near any of that kind of thing here. And, and it's, it's, you know, the irony being, it's largely because we have been very successful in getting the region vaccinated. And I just think it makes a, it makes an enormous difference. We were talking um, earlier in the week about um, Eastport South Manor is a school district not far uh, from us. And it, they've had a bit of a, an outbreak at the high school there um, of some COVID cases. And that's a community where the masking requirements in the schools is, 
has been there's there's been a real vocal opposition. Now it's a very big school district too, but it but it demonstrates you know I, I think Georgie and and Bill I think we haven't heard anything about any South Fork school districts having any kind of significant outbreaks uh, at all and. Uh, it, it makes you. I mean, I think it demonstrates that that the risk of outbreaks with this with this uh, virus, it's it's exponential. If you have a community that's not following the rules or is not vaccinated, and you have an outbreak, it's going to be a bad outbreak. Um, and vice versa, if you have communities that are following the rules and getting vaccinated, it even if you have a person who comes down with COVID, it tends to end with one case or uh, at least not turn into a bad outbreak. I mean, even as they um, they were reporting today that um, I think cases are down something like 25% over the last two weeks. Um, so they there is a, a hope that perhaps the Delta variant has has hit its peak um, already and that we're maybe going on a, a downward trend now. Um, of course, let's see what happens as everybody moves indoors and you know, who knows, but, you know, in the schools, of course, you know, you do have a big portion of the school population that's unable to get vaccinated right now. And, you know, with such a contagious variant, um, you know, it's just so important that anybody who is old enough to be vaccinated does get vaccinated. And if not, I, I mean, I personally, I know that there's controversy about this. I personally feel more comfortable sending my kids to a school district that's very heavily enforcing a mask mandate. I did read an article this last week that said there are models that suggest that the Delta uh, may wane now that, that that the models suggest that we may have seen the worst of it potentially but it doesn't mean that we're through with dealing with the problem and and it'll probably linger for it, it may be years now we may have to deal with this on an annual basis like we do with the flu i'm wondering have we seen any contentious school board meetings out here um with people fighting mask mandates or is that you know, you see a lot of that on the news. West Hampton Beach was, was had a real strong vocal opposition. Sag Harbor School District had a smaller opposition, but there was a group of parents that did attend a few board meetings prior to the opening of school. Um, but the superintendent, Jeff Nichols there, you know, was very clear that not only were they going planning to follow whatever state guidelines were offered, which eventually, you know, of course, Governor Hochul did issue the mask mandate, but even prior to that, they were already planning to have their own mask mandate because he was like, we're just following science and we're just yeah. being protective, you know. I feel like the, the, it, it can, the, the prevalence on social media and with people speaking up at school board meetings, it's a small group. They're very vocal. And they're very passionate, um, but it can it can provide sort of an outsized look at at, at how strong. I, I don't know that that feeling is as prevalent out there as it seems to be. It's I think it seems louder than it is because of the nature of social media and the nature of people. A couple of people stand up at a school board. You've got some school board members though that are that are aligned with that, and I think we saw that in West Hampton Beach and. We're hearing some of that in in um, in Southampton as as well, where where there was a discussion 
among board members of, of whether they had to follow the mandate and what their options were and whether that's they the mask mandate the, lawsuit, right? the mask mandate yeah. i guess too you also i mean most of the images that you're seeing are of like more um midwestern or western states where you're getting hundreds of people showing up without the masks and really getting into those battles yeah we haven't seen anything like that here i think part of it is because of the um you know the state is really setting the, the rules not allowing it to kind of trickle down to each of the individual districts. Although even before Hochul, um, you know, passed her mandate for the schools and masks, um, I mean, I think most of the school districts on the East End were already planning to have mask mandates. I mean, it was like Brendan said earlier, it was nice for them to be able to say, well, now it's the state, you know, we don't have control of that, go blame the state. But most of them are already kind of moving in that direction. I think the districts are sick of the disruptions. You know, the students are, the teachers are of, you know, are, is half my class going to be out for the next two weeks? We're not necessarily doing hybrid learning anymore. So I have to send them their assignments home, but they're not going to be on Zoom with us. So I'm going to have half a classroom. And then you're just going to have another lost year of education uh, and even worse than it had been when at least those kids could catch up and see their teachers and have FaceTime with their classmates on Zoom. Now we're going into a situation where those kids are quarantined, they're losing that FaceTime that was happening virtually. Uh, you know, masks, very little cost. If, if masks are useless, the cost of being wrong is nothing. If masks are helpful and people who are against them are wrong, the cost is high. So let's just look at uh, uh, analysis, cost to benefit, there's no cost to just having high school students and middle school students wear these masks, but the costs of being wrong are very, very high. Yeah, but you're being logical. You're being logical, and I think a lot of a lot of the opposition, what we hear, I don't know that they're logical arguments. I agree with you. Well, a lot of the opposition also don't live in those school districts and don't have yeah. kids, which is the craziest part. You go to these school board meetings and you have somebody from God knows where who's opposed to kids wearing masks and they don't have kids in that district and they don't even live in that district. But I feel like the buried we buried the lead that I think so many of the school districts here on the South Fork are back to normal with masks. That's the, the abnormal thing, but they are back to normal. There hasn't been any serious outbreaks and they are getting an education again, at least, you know, better than, than what we saw last year. So, I mean, I think that's a positive development. I'm knocking on fake wood right now <laughs> because I hope it stays that way. You know, it's, you know, we are a month into the school year. Um, and, you know, I think the last half of last year was as normal as it could be. Most schools were back full time. Um, you know, by February, I think of last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, so far so good um, in terms of massive outbreaks, of course, except for we did see, like Bill said earlier, that Eastport South Manor situation developed. Are the teachers required to be vaccinated like the hospital employees? So there's not um, a vaccine mandate. Governor Hochul had discussed um, that she had looked into whether or not she could do that. And there was there was questions about whether or not the state could have a all out vaccine mandate for teachers. But there is a um, requirement that if you are not fully vaccinated, you are supposed to be tested twice weekly um, and that testing. And, and, and we did a we did a story and we surveyed a few 
school districts and most of them said that you know they they had pretty much 100% compliance Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Cordoraro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. Joe is lacing up his hockey football jersey. <laughs> Ready to get out on the ice. Yeah, get on the ice with a bat the football around with a just time to tie hockey that. stick. Looks sloppy. <laughs> I don't want to look sloppy. Uh, yeah, because wearing a sports jersey is a very professional look. <laughs> <laughs> this is hey man, this is Zoom time. It's Zoom time. Anything goes in Zoom time. COVID passion. Changed everything. <laughs> Joe, did you not get the memo that we're going to start uh, dropping the video along with the uh, the audio for this? Uh, yeah. Everyone will get to see my basement. Hey, I am what I am. All right, Popeye. I've got a face for podcasts. <laughs> so maybe we'll move on to our other topic, which uh, is the cannabis and what's going on with that. And there was some interesting news this week for the Shinnecock Territory. They are looking at allowing cannabis medicinal facility, but also considering allowing individual members on the reservation to operate their own cannabis businesses. Is that right? It's, it's also, it's about recreational sales to adults only that essentially what they did was they, they, they pulled the members of the Shinnecock nation and the, the members of the nation came back in support of selling recreational marijuana and also allowing individual licenses to allow tribe members to, to do that. Um, that was, I, the impression I get is that it was, it was more of just sort of taking the temperature. Uh, and now the work will begin to put together ordinances and things like that to make it happen. But it's, you know, the Shinnecock Nation already has moved pretty strongly forward on trying to set up uh, a grow facility and a distribution facility that was going to be uh, medical cannabis uh, solely at the time. But they had said that they were going to watch and see how the, the state's rules evolved and they were going to um, sort of follow what the state's progress would be. And, and they've, they've done that. Um, it's going to be some time before, before it's all set up and ready to go. I'm assuming there's, there's still some issues to work out. Um, it's sovereign land, so they don't really have to follow the state laws, but they do have to keep in mind that, um, you know, there's only so much you can do if, if at the moment, if the tribe were to sell marijuana, uh, on a recreational basis and someone left the reservation, um, that's technically, uh, well, wait a minute, how would that work? No, because it's legal to possess it. It's legal to possess it, but um, 
Yeah, I don't know that that comes into play, but it's, it's, I'm sure that all of this is complicated. You're talking about crossing state lines, kind of, but I don't know that that would have, I don't know anybody's going to care. My, my, my question is, is it going to be cheaper because it would be untaxed, like the untaxed cigarettes or the mm -hmm. untaxed gasoline that, that, they're, um, that they're proposing selling up on the highway? Um, I, I think it's good for them. It's going to be a gold mine. I mean, if, if they're coming in with a, with a, 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 a good product, but cheaper because they're not paying the taxes, then, then I think a lot of people will, will end up going there. They might be the only game in town. They figured the state would have figured that out with um, reservations and figured out some way to make sure they get the tax on them, right? I don't know. I don't think they can. I don't know. They can't do it on the cigarettes. But how, didn't the cigarettes change though? Didn't they have to impose something on... Well, no, but they can't sell brand names. So they, ah, they're not selling Marlboros or, or, you know, Camels. They're, they're selling the native produced brands. Ah, um, interesting. So if it's native produced cannabis, then, then I don't see a difference there. I don't know. I'm, I'm you know, I'm just bringing it up, but I, huh. I imagine that they're going to bypass taxes. Well, at this rate, I believe the Shinnecocks are probably going to be the first to market with retail sales. Southampton Village just opted out of allowing it. I know a couple other villages did. Southampton Town seemed like they might want to allow it, but they also want to put it to a public vote. And when you put it to a public vote, it could really go either way. So if the Shinnecocks are either first or just end up being the only game in town on the South Fork in the long term as well, they have a lot of opportunities and they'll be able to charge whatever they want. Plus you'll be able to, to gamble at the casino and get gas. So it is one-stop shopping. Mm -hmm. Well, two stops because the uh, gas station is going to be in Hampton Bays. The casino is going to be in Southampton. <laughs> so if the town of Southampton says they don't want retail marijuana sales, does that mean that the villages can have their own vote? They yeah, can decide the villages can do their own. But Southampton Village has already opted out, right? That was your point. Right, and I believe Quag did too. I don't know that any village will allow it. Apparently, uh, from how the Southampton Village mayor explained it, Jesse Warren, the revenue that a village gets from marijuana sales and its boundaries is not great. The mm -hmm. taxation would be 3%. And if you're a village, 1.5% would go to the town and 1.5% would go to the village. So mm -hmm. there's not a lot of upsides to a village opting in. Maybe you'll have a couple more storefronts that have businesses in them, but the village is not going to be raking money in. I mean, I have to be honest with you with Southampton Town, and I, I'm pretty sure Jay Schneiderman, the supervisor there, has alluded to this, knowing that the Shinnecock are going to move forward with this, it seems, I don't know, almost a little short-sighted that you wouldn't try to find the right places to have your own, to allow this kind of recreational sale when you know it's going to, you know, be a tax benefit. I mean, people are going to already be coming to Southampton Town to buy recreational marijuana, they'll just be doing it at the Shinnecock Reservation. And, and to push businesses to the to the pizza parlors, right? And other. Well, maybe this is a good give back for the town to do. Any candy <laughs> shops. Candy shops, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you'd also, you you said it yourself, if the, if the Shinnecock Nation is selling tax-free cannabis, it's, it may be tough yeah. to set up a private business in Southampton Village a couple right. of miles away. And, charge you know who knows what the the taxes will be um i'm sure that the state's gonna slap a few extra taxes on that well they'll just call it gourmet yeah it'll be in pretty packaging yeah it'll be hand cannabis <laughs> plus you'd have lounges 
um, so what do we know about um, like East Hampton uh, town? Are they, have they weighed in one way or the other about what they're believe. thinking this might happen? Yeah. They're, they're, they've talked about it, but they haven't really, they haven't said, they haven't, it's, it's tough to, to tell yet what would happen. There. It seems like they're leaning towards opting out though. They do, huh? And, and what about Sac Harbor? Have they said anything? No, they haven't really discussed it. Um, but um, it, it's interesting with East Hampton Town, I was speaking with one person um, who's a resident and they were wondering if the town would at least opt in to allow medical marijuana facilities. Um, because as of right now, I believe the only medical marijuana facility on the East End is in Riverhead. Um, Correct. Mm -hmm. The dispensary. Yeah. yeah. These villages and towns are running out of time to make a decision. They have to have a vote before the end of the year. And that vote is potentially subject to a permissive referendum if enough people sign enough signatures to demand one. And that referendum would have to be done by the end of this year. So if the village or town can't complete this process, then the village can't opt out. But isn't that only to opt out? And well, it's it's questionable because Mike Wright in a story talked to Fred Thiel, Assemblyman, State Assemblyman Fred Thiel, who had said um, that as long as the town or village passed the opt-out regulation by the end of the year, they could have the permissive referendum after that. Now, whether he's correct or not, I mean, there, this has really been a confusion in this legislation all along. And I think we were initially reporting that they would have to have the permissive referendum before the end of the year, but now he's saying that that it could come afterwards. So wait, let me make sure I understand this. So if the town opts out, but then they decide they want to opt back in, then you have a referendum? No, 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 no. I'm um, not sure I get this. The, so if the town or village does nothing, they are immediately opted in, and that is irreversible. If they do something and they decide to opt out, it could be put on a ballot, either because the board decided to put it on the ballot or because residents petitioned to put it on the ballot and then everybody gets to have a direct democracy vote on whether to opt in or opt out and the board at least has to take the vote on opting out by the end of this year the permissive referendums though you need a lot yeah. of signatures and it's very high bar to do that in a small village it might be easier to do in the town where i think they need 10 percent of the people as opposed to 20 so you're automatically in unless you opt out correct Yes. Okay. And if you opt out, that's not permanent. You always have the ability to repeal the local law. But if there's villages and towns that want to opt out and they're dragging their feet on it, they might find soon that they've run mm -hmm. out of time. So are there any of the East End towns that we know of or villages opting in at this point or would like to just, they're all talking about getting out? So, so Riverhead had um, put up a, a legislation to opt out, but, <clears throat> but it was rejected. So the, the, the town board voted against opting out. They, had, they, were, they were really proactive, um, Riverhead. They, they got on top of this right away. They, <clears throat> they had done a survey of residents. Um, they had a, a bunch of public hearings uh, and two of the board members in Riverhead had voted to opt out, but the other three um, rejected that. So Riverhead's in. So if you don't wanna go to the res, um, you know, drive yeah. to Riverhead. That's interesting. And if you don't want to wait for recreational marijuana sales, get a medical card. Yeah. I also wonder, like, you know, we had um, David Falkowski 
from Open Minded Organics on a few months ago. And I was, you know, curious how that might affect his business if he is like a grower producer on his, you know, farm fields. Um, could he get like a, almost like a, what do they call that? Like a craft brewery license or, you know, have they talked about, do we know anything more about the legality of that? Like, even if the, the town of Southampton opts out because he actually has a business and is looking to get into, you know, growing, could it be like a, a farm distillery type of license? Do you, you know, he, he might be able to grow, but not yeah. sell mm. because on-site consumption is part of the opt-out options because a village or town could say we are opting into retail marijuana sales, but we are opting out of on-site consumption. Huh. And it could well be that I, I think you've touched on something though. And I think that one of the things that's going to happen is there's going to be a market for sort of boutique varieties of marijuana. And I, I think I remember uh, when we did the story about the, uh, the cannabis exhib exhibition that took place in East Hampton recently, I think David Falkowski has been talking with the tribe about partnering too. So it, it could well be that the tribe may end up offering varieties of, of marijuana that are that are grown, you know, organically or have some other, you know, as I understand it, a friend of mine in Pennsylvania uh, visited and she had a medical marijuana card. And she said that it's really about very much about conversations about what types, what, what strains of marijuana and the different effects they have. And you basically go in and there's a menu to choose from in some of the shops. So um, I think that's going to be, it'll be interesting if there is sort of like a, like you said, like a microbrewery type of a thing um, for growing marijuana. I'm, I'm going to be intrigued to see if that, that evolves. I, I thought there was something in the law that was, if you grew it, you couldn't sell it, but I'm not sure how that works. Not sure. So much of that's still to be worked really out. Is. I think too, the, this, the state's got a lot of work to do to, to figure this out. That partnership, the idea of David partnering with the reservation is a really interesting one because, you know, one of the things that David had mentioned when he was on was the idea that you have a lot of um, businesses kind of circling the state, you know, like Colorado or California or place or, you know, even Massachusetts, places that already have their um, recreational marijuana laws in place and these businesses are way ahead. So they're just sort of trying to figure out how they can get a foothold in here or looking to partner. So it may be um, interesting for, you know, for David to partner and keep, keep the, keep the whole thing local, you know, yeah. as opposed to having to um, make an alliance with somebody from outside the state. And the Shinnecock nation, the Shinnecock nations basically brought in, major partners to help with their operation. And I think it's going to be a big, I, I think it's going to be a big moneymaker um, for the nation and they may be looking beyond New York state borders. I'm not sure again, what the rules are going to be because federally it's still illegal to transport marijuana over state lines. I believe, I think on the, at the federal level, that's still illegal. So that's a challenge. Um, but you have to wonder if that's another obstacle that's not going to fall in the not too distant future or even if it's going to be enforced i mean federally it's still illegal to possess marijuana um, but it's just not enforced i think in some states it's enforced you know yeah if they don't like to look at your car or they don't like to look at your license plates yeah the fbi is not going to show up in your backyard to take your two marijuana plants but in some states maybe the local cops will Exactly. All right. Anybody else want to weigh in on this? 
Although we should not call it a referendum, it's a referendum. I think we've been referring. <laughs> I was waiting for Ooh. someone to do that. <laughs> it wasn't going to be me. <laughs> we'll have to use that in a headline if we actually have a referendum. The pun opportunities. <laughs> yeah. Once again, not a podcast for young people. <laughs> Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.